Hey, this is Steve-O from Clipwing and In Two Months, and I want to invite you down to the Beer Boutique at 910 Region Avenue. We're your premier destination for all malted beverages in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Pride ourselves in providing a unique experience for each person who walks through our doors. So whether it's local, craft, succulent cider, or seasonal refreshments, we carry the brands you seek as well as those you've yet to discover. Come see us soon at 910 Region Avenue. That's the Beer Boutique. See you on the other side. A few months ago on social media, I was talking about a series of lost episodes which are episodes from around 2014-2015 that never ended up making it onto the official feed that you can find on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, that you can find on Spotify, that you can find on Stitcher, etc. And basically when I switched podcast hosting platforms a few years ago, I screwed up and these 40-50 episodes didn't get moved across. Doing it now, retroactively, is a giant pain in the ass. So basically the plan was to semi-regularly release these as archival episodes and put them back into circulation in the podcast feed so people could hear them again, in a lot of cases, for the first time. I did release one of them earlier this year, but then I had so much new content that I just didn't get a chance. But now that the holidays are happening, it seems like a good time to put out some of these episodes because there's a bit of space, a bit of time, and honestly getting new guests at this time of year can often be difficult. This is an episode that was originally released in 2015, and it's an interview with Jesse Mathewson of Ken Mode. So this was right around the time they were preparing to record their success album, and it's in the old format of the podcast, which means there's three hosts. I'm hosting, John Ascombe is hosting, and Rob Crooks is hosting. And although there is an interview with the artist, we also had a randomly generated theme word that kind of dictated the songs we would choose. So instead of songs just by the guests, which is what you're used to on the show, we'd all choose songs by whatever artist based on whatever word we had that week. So in the interest of not violating any copyrights, uh, those songs are not on this episode. You hear about a second of them and then it fades out and goes back into the conversation. But it's a really fun conversation nonetheless. We found out after we recorded this that Ken Mode had just arranged for Steve Albini to come in and record the new album which was huge news at the time, and is still huge news now, the fact that they got him to produce that record. But we didn't talk about it on air because it wasn't 100% confirmed at that point. Ken Mode has, is and has always been one of my favorite local bands of any genre, so hopefully we can get them back on the show at some point in future. So anyway, here is episode 71 with Jesse from Ken Mode. You're listening to Garbage Hill, one of first podcast network. Welcome to Witch Police Radio. This is episode number 71. Uh, we have all three hosts back, which is the first time in, um, I don't know how long. Rob, how long have you been together? No idea. Four months? <laughs> Four months. Like that. Yeah, yeah, it's been a while. But uh, yeah, I'm regular host Sam. I'm regular. here with... Yeah, I'm John. I'm Rob. And our guest today is Jesse from Ken Mode. Howdy. And uh, I'm very happy to have you on the show. Uh, you know, I've uh, been listening to your band for a pretty long time, probably since like when you guys got started. 
Yeah, in the God, 99. 99 or so, yeah. And actually, we were... Um, we had originally intended to have you on a few months ago. <laughs> and then I think we came up with some kind of like... Well, I don't even know what we did. Death Pod. Is that what it was? Yeah, I think that's when we did the uh, episode where we just went on Wikipedia, found recently deceased... Yes, Artists? and that was the last one I was on. That was the last one well, you, you were on. So falling from like a parkade, and then, <laughs> and then you got attacked by a coyote. No, I saw Whoa. a coyote. I saw a coyote, and I ran away from it. Okay, well, everything good. about that show is way better than how I could have done yeah. that show. You got yeah. a lot to live up to, Jesse. Maybe, maybe you should have skipped it again. Yeah, but well, I mean, I, I remember like a, the the problem was that you were like a day or so before heading on a tour, right? And yeah, you, and my minivan died in front of Viva Restaurant, and. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> it, it totally screwed up my weekend. Yeah. And the funny thing is, it got fixed, and then when I got back from tour, it died again. Like, the brakes died. It was... We toured in that thing for, like, four years. So, okay. And it's a minivan hauling a trailer. Like, those yeah, things yeah, aren't yeah. meant for that. For sure. Like, as much as Toyota Siennas are, like, pretty powerful vehicles for, like, families and stuff like that, they're not meant to tour. All gear. Yeah, hauling that much stuff up yeah. and down mountains. And, yeah, we put... The moment I bought it, I think we put two hundred and ten thousand kilometers on it. Wow. So, and that's, <laughs> that's all yeah. hauling. Yeah. So, it 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 had a hard life. Uh, Shane, our drummer, my brother, likened it to the fighter Kazushi Sakuraba. How it lasted way longer than anyone thought it should, and took way more punishment than it ever should have. <laughs> but damn, did that Japanese car move! <laughs> Well, that, that's like that. We've had people, you know, I mean, we do this every week, so we frequently will have guests who, you know, for whatever reason, something comes up. That was like the most legit reason, I think, yeah. though. It's like, yeah, my car is dead. I'm calling you from the... And have to go on tour. In tour, yeah. In yeah. a few hours. Yeah. Right. I literally, stuff. I think we were leaving... I think not, it was the next day or something. Was that the it? Friday? That, it was either the Friday or Saturday that we were supposed to do it, and I think we were leaving on the Monday. Yeah, it was something that was happening right away, yeah, yeah. so... And then we were gone for like six and a half weeks. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, so we're glad to have you now. I mean, one of the th- I was never sure if it was going to happen to because you guys are always on tour. Like it yeah. seems like every this time. A, literally, I think this is the first time in two years since we haven't actually known what's next. Although we kind of really? know what's next. That's that's, that's <laughs> ridiculous. But there, we we knew we were. Uh, I guess it was actually on our way back home from the last show was in Chicago on this last tour. And Shane and I were driving from Chicago to Minneapolis when we got an offer to do Hopscotch Fest in North Carolina, which actually gets announced tomorrow, so I can say this Yeah, because this won't come up for, yeah, for a week. Um, so, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so we already, before we even got home, we knew we had to go back to the States by, like, early September. Well, now we just got to figure out what tour we're doing. So how, Yeah, make it worth your while. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. Well, you guys, uh, like, I, I mean, has this been kind of a thing since you sort of started doing the band, like, you do the band full-time now, right? Yeah, it's like, we, uh, it was, this is something we get asked about a lot, because obviously, like, we didn't do the band full-time yeah. for probably the first, God, what, 12 years of its existence, and then all of a sudden... Yeah, now people, you're touring Then all of a sudden, yeah. people started yeah. talking about us, like, uh, yeah. okay, like, especially people in Winnipeg, like, would have went, like, sure, they've been around way too long. Yeah, yeah we've <laughs> seen them 30 times, yeah. Who yeah. cares? Yeah. But, uh, compared to the rest of the world nobody knew who the hell we were (laughs) um it was really in 2009 that it was kind of one of those pivotal moments where it's either all right i should just either go back to school or do something different like i hate my job i hate everything i'm doing shane just became a chartered accountant so it was time to either like figure out whether he's going to jump into like a career type position at a firm as a controller or something like that and he didn't really feel ready to do that and i was wishy-washy as to what I wanted to do in school and I'd been looking through a lot of bands we knew 
uh, their tour photos from like Europe and stuff like that. And I was just like, oh. yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, sh- I really wanted to do that, and I always felt for the style we played, we were one of the better bands in the world, and nobody gave a crap because yeah. we never toured. And when you live in Winnipeg, like it's really hard to convince Americans in New York to give a crap about some noisy band that sure. they've never heard of. That they never heard of Winnipeg. Probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. And we just decided to try working our asses off, see how far we could push it, and it took two years to even start to get the kind of foundation to be able to tour yeah. full time. And even then, that first year was rough. <laughs> yeah, I bet, yeah. I booked most of the tours with help from friends and some of the bands that we were touring with. And near the end of it, like, we toured from March through probably October or November. And by the end of that, we were pretty much ready to throw in the towel. And then we got an offer to go to Europe with Kailessa. And at that point... Uh, we thought, like, well, we'll do this tour, and then we'll kind of figure out what we're going to do next. Maybe we'll try continuing to push it yeah. if I can get interest, and I wasn't sure whether I could, and then we got nominated for a Juno, and yeah. then things started to change rapidly. Yeah, it seems like all of a sudden, like, the last two albums have been, like, on just, I mean, you know, I, I obviously knew who you guys were before I was already listening to you, but just, like, mm-hmm. seeing the amount of stuff out there, just all of a sudden, Ken Mode is being mentioned, like, all over the place on the internet yeah. and magazines and things. It was cool to see. And then the Juno was... Honestly, yeah. that still trips me out seeing yeah, that. Because, yeah. like, we put out Venerable 2011, and that's the first one that we really got a proper PR push in the States and Canada, at least, because of Profound Lore Records. And even then, we were still really small beans. Yeah. And the people started to throw our name around a little. But uh, once the Juno thing happened... Uh, we started to actually get some interest from booking agents, and then Season of Mist and New Damage Records got interested in us. And again, we still played it safe. Like, we got it so we could fund uh, the recording of Entrench. I applied for a bunch of grants through, like, Manitoba Film and Music oh, yeah. and Factor. And I wanted to have our destiny in our hands. I didn't want to have it so it was up to a label to give us money. Because yeah. I know every... We, we know accounting. Go figure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. We knew that everything is just debt depending on who it is, like at least if we're do- dealing with Canada, they're loan programs, but they are forgivable loans that become grants. And as much as you can't rely on grants forever, it's better than being in debt to a label that's yeah. going to never give us money. So Well, and dictate what you're doing too, right? Yeah. Do certain, certain Granted, like we're right now, like when we signed with Season of Mist and New Damage, we're basically the perfect band to sign. Like we do our own fundraising you don't have to put any money into it, and we work like dogs. Yeah. We're an unlikely, unlikely candidate to ever really accomplish much, and I think that's why a lot of people are surprised that our name gets thrown around so much, because who would have thought, like, even 10 years ago that a noise rock band from Winnipeg, anyone would give a crap for about sure, it. Yeah, yeah. A noise rock band from Winnipeg got the Polaris long list. We've been yeah. nominated for two Junos. We've won one. Like, it's crazy. What yeah. world is this? Yeah. <laughs> Well, and you won in the first time that category even existed, yeah. right? Like that was which uh, even then we were the underdogs. Like everyone yeah. was like, "Oh, this is Anvils. Let the young kids have their time." Yeah. And I know when we won, we were like, "Young kids, like we've been <laughs> a band for thirteen years. Yeah. Like it, they were considering us and fuck the facts. Like young kids, yeah. and they've been a band just as long as we have. Like it was asinine to call us all kids. We're all in our thirties. Yeah. yeah, just because right. Anvil yeah. was in their fifties and haven't really accomplished anything but a movie about movie, yeah. how they've yeah. been failures. Like yeah. <laughs> and then they were dicks to us <laughs> at the pretty, Junos. Oh, so. that's too bad, yeah. Yeah. Like, I, we were kind of playing the, like, well, we're all in the metal category. Yeah, we're all the losers compared to everyone yeah. else. And, yeah, Anvil were dicks to that's me. That's too bad. That's too bad. Cause just because, you know, everyone has this idea of the movie where they're kind of lovable failures, yeah. right? Yeah. 
I, I can't imagine what like I mean I, I guess you guys on the Junos were on like the night before though right but yeah the non-televised part most of the awards are at the dinner the, the good ones the are at the yeah, yeah. yeah yeah they have like some of the bigger ones on the big show but yeah even like I know like Tegan and Sarah won some yeah they won both nights right they won some yeah. both nights yeah, but yeah. like the, the main one they won was the night before it was yeah. like best what pop record or something yeah, yeah. something yeah. like yeah. that that yeah. was the night before like what is going on yeah it's weird yeah. that wasn't televised no 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 I was talking to Jesse who was at the dinner got uh, given a ticket and yeah oh, Jess, our friend Jesse made us and uh, yeah he was telling me about like all the awards that were announced and it was like album of the year yeah. and stuff I was like well, yeah. so did they just announce all of them like how did this work pretty much I think no wonder the this year music's like industry is like a joke like because they do that with other things but they, they do it with the Grammys lesser, you know yeah the yeah, Grammys they'll have like you know best polka album best uh, you know Tex-Mex album or whatever like <laughs> yeah. on, the, on the other the, yeah Best Tex Tex Mex. It's a, it's a category, yeah. Is it really? <laughs> yeah. I always read them because I always want to know what the best reggae album is, so I can complain about it, right? Because I'm always I'm always <laughs> offended by who they chose for the best reggae album. It can't it too. Uh, so, but so I check the long list of all the categories, and yeah, Tex Mex is always on there for the Grammys. That's so weird. Yeah, and then the Grammys has the Latin Grammys too, which is like a whole other whole other yeah. kettle of fish. Uh, what? Well, maybe we should get into a song here. Uh, yeah, we can. Yeah, we'll talk about we it too. But uh, sure. Jesse, do you want to do you want to start us off? So. You know, for the listener here, we have a, a randomly generated... Yeah, we generated probably should have mentioned this at the time. Yeah, we have a randomly generated theme word that we'll be picking songs to play from. This week's theme is King. Yeah, so any any way we can make connections to the word King, I mean, uh, you know, whether it's in the song title, whether it's in the lyrics, whether there's some... anything, as long as you can justify how it fits the theme, then we're cool with it. I so, I, you given the theme and given the subject matter we've just been talking about, about uh, fighting the impossible battle playing a stupid genre and just lucking out, I think uh, we should go with the song King of the Retards by the band Mog Stunt Team, who I believe were from Detroit, put out a record on Amphetamine Reptile back in the 90s. Awesome. They actually toured through here with Kittens, I think that was in 97, maybe? I saw that at the Albert. Otherwise, I don't know how the hell I ever would have heard of a, a yeah. band like this. Granted, they're on AMRAP, but even yeah, most really most AMRAP aficionados don't know nor care about. They're not one of the big bands on that label. No, either one. Yeah, not yeah. by any means, yeah. but they're really fun. Cool. So we'll hear King of the Retards because awesome. it's ridiculous. Awesome. Cool. Check it out. I'm King of the Retards! I like that a yeah, lot. It was, it was yeah. very uh, was a good song. Yeah. I like the guitar solo there. The really kind of sloppy, it's pretty sweet. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> Definitely. Those guys took like metal grinders to these weird metal things they had on their guitars and sprayed them all over the place and wore like football helmets with. It was just silly. It seems right. It seems like that that kind of sound would be coming yeah. out of that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I like that kind of music that sounds like it sounds like it's chaos, but somehow it's still like some sort of order in the yeah. It's yeah. noise rock, baby. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's the whole, right, the whole thing, yeah. That's cool. That was great. So, like, you got, you just saw them with the one show that was that the only. Yeah, I think they played two shows. They played a bar show and then a all ages show. And oh, yeah. was at the Albert. Back when the Albert had the all ages shows. So back yeah. when the Albert still existed, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> when the Albert was a thing. Yeah, yeah, and had all ages shows. I remember that. Yeah. Lissai. Aren't, aren't they gonna open it again? They were just in the paper again. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't Who even cares? read when I see that now. <laughs> <laughs> it's just yeah. skip it. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. I don't know. I like, I like the Albert, but I mean, if it comes back. Yeah, it was funny. It was back for like what a couple months and I missed the entire thing oh, yeah, we were on, on tour, tour from yeah. the time it opened to the time it closed yeah. we were gone mm-hmm. I think we were gone for like four months you just missed a bunch of stupid drama really yeah like, so I, I saw it via Facebook <laughs> yeah, unfortunately yeah, yeah. but uh, fun yeah good times yeah. Um, one of the things that 
I remember reading just because you know I I, I, I I like Ken Moon on Facebook, so I see you know you guys tour updates and things like that as they come up. One thing I remember from I don't know when it was a few months ago was something about you guys getting your shirts bootlegged or something. Oh, that was yeah. We found that on eBay. That's like is that like a sign that you that you've uh, reached a higher level of uh, popularity? Be, yeah. Have, yeah, I have no idea how that even happened. We've had a couple really weird, funny things happen in the past few months. The bootlegging thing. Yeah, I don't know whether someone just looked at the wrong like online scene or something to think like I can make money off of this. It's yeah, probably yeah, just yeah. like a one of those iron-on deals or something. But yeah, someone was bootlegging our shirts in Indonesia and it had like a picture of us on the back with <laughs> our tour dates with Russian circles, oh, which weird. it wasn't like a Ken Mode headlining tour. It was just, we were on tour. Yeah. It was their tour, but yeah, f- funny. Yeah, that's bizarre. Weird, that's like, yeah, I mean, to think about people in like an obscure country wearing your stuff, it's like when a bunch of extra shirts get printed and then just like shipped off to like as like flood relief or something yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. but to have it actually being sold somewhere is and I feel like they were targeting strange. like North Americans with that too which is the most ridiculous oh part. was it but it, was it cheaper than shirts here no, like, no it, was it was expensive <laughs> so it's like this is an exclusive if you're like a super Ken Mode fan you get yeah. this special shirt yeah, yeah. we were hoping like it was like a real legit thing that they printed them in advance so they yeah. just lose tons of money yeah yeah end up burning them did you buy one? No, I should, probably should have. So I, <laughs> Anyone I just, should. I think yeah, I noticed yeah. it again right before we left on that tour, so I wasn't going to screw around with that. I yeah. Yeah, whatever. So it sounds like you're on tour a lot. Yeah, well, like, last year, out of from March to March this year, we were home for about two months out of the 12. It's crazy. Uh, which is a lot even for full-time touring band yeah, standards. Yeah, for sure. Uh, by the end of it, we felt a little crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to have some time off. I'm sick of playing those songs. Yeah. But uh, it seems as though we've made an impact. People know we're crazy now. <laughs> we yeah, so have like, a work ethic. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a guy that goes in your favor, right? If someone's mm-hmm. trying to get you to come to their country or whatever, like they, I've hope. seen the amount of touring that you guys are willing to put up with. <laughs> but uh, hopefully the time off will be good because... Uh, we need to write a new record. We need to be attractive to some higher profile tours, and by not being on the road all the time, that makes it a little more attractive. Right, so. or it's easier to find out about them, I guess, too, right? If you're not yeah. Like, yeah, well, that being on tour doesn't really change that. Oh, yeah, aspect, I get the internet. But it's just like if you've like just been through a city, it's like, well, we don't really want to go through with them again because their fans aren't going to come out. Yeah, yeah. And like sense. last year, I think we played New York like five or six times, maybe. Or was it six or seven? It was a ridiculous number of times. Like, same with Chicago. Granted, like, we did Pitchfork Fest and played three shows, like, that weekend. But still, like, I think we played Chicago seven times uh-huh. in, like, a 12 to 15-month period. Just that's, stupid. And I guess you play a type of music with a relatively limited audience, too, right? So that's, Yeah, like, although yeah. with Chicago, people, people kept coming out. I didn't really? get it. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Actually, the Pitchfork thing, though, I was surprised. Like, I mean, you know, I always had this idea of what Pitchfork is based on looking at it years ago and being annoyed mm. by one article in it or whatever. And, you know, and saying, I don't want to read this shit anymore. But, like, uh, they, they they streamed a bunch of your stuff from your, your last album, like, when yeah. it came out, right? That was, and it seemed like it was pretty, they put a lot of, like, uh, effort into promoting you guys. A lot of people like to crap on Pitchfork because they may have seen one or two bad reviews that they didn't agree with. But from what I've seen, at least in the past few years, they have a lot of really 
good people working for them with really good taste like especially the metal coverage like most of the time I agree with it 100% yeah, from what I understand too they're just like a lot of volunteers right so it's like you're yeah. gonna have a lot of shitheads and then you're gonna have a lot it's of like anything else. smart people yeah. who are yeah. Yeah. but like even uh, the one editor uh, Brendan Stoutsey who we've met and played a bunch of shows for like we've done his South by Southwest shows and he's the one who got us on Pitchfork Fest like the dude has really good taste and cool. he hires writers that have really good taste so if you ever pay attention to the like metal section of Pitchfork like they're usually pretty spot on like all their track debuts and metals like album full streams like it's all really good stuff mm-hmm. yeah I think going yeah from what Sam says like for a lot of people maybe the idea of Pitchfork is that it's just like this indie sort of pop yeah which obviously stuff. isn't true yeah, yeah, yeah but they, like, I mean different yeah, it's yeah, always stuff. viewed as like kind of this schlocky like hipster yeah. thing and yeah. as much as people like to throw around that term like I I find they cover a lot of really good music and I end up getting into a lot of great stuff because Pitchfork covered it. Hmm. Let's check it out again. I think it was literally just one review that pissed me off. <laughs> like, I'm fuck this, I'm yeah. done, I'm done. Yeah. And, yeah. and then and, and they also the criticism with them too is the reviews are extremely long and like, yeah. I think that's just the Sometimes, style. Sometimes, and we even suffered from this on that too where like our, our record was reviewed, reviewed very favorably but then they start to go into like some of the pretentious analyzing yeah. of certain parts and as the person they're literally breaking down like oh they missed the mark on that yeah. one it's funny how far into this he's going but wow <laughs> yeah well that probably happens a lot if you, yeah. anyone starts going beyond just what they hear and what they like about it or don't like about it yeah. yeah and that'll happen with music journalism yeah regardless I'm sure we do that in the show I've read now. reviews like that where I'm like how do they like I would never think to go like this deep into something I, mm-hmm. I guess they just make it up but I also just I imagine that someone knows way more about whatever music they're reviewing than I do or they don't, and, and they've just decided that they want to yeah. interpret. Like the one thing that that would make makes me think of this uh, is that show we played. I think you were actually at that show, the Mothboat show at the Label Gallery. Someone wrote this massive review on the internet and on a message board, analyzing the significance of the robot. And it was <laughs> like, no, this is just a guy who doesn't play any instruments. And he's in a garbage can. <laughs> There's no meaning yeah. whatsoever. No, 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 robots are just cool. Yeah, yeah, that was it, right. But like this guy had written this thing about what the robot represented and all this stuff. But that's the point, though, right? When you put it out there, you're no longer in control of the meaning, right? You I guess take, yeah. you have to yeah. take out intention. Like, and that's the beauty from... of art. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. The interpretation. Yeah. That makes us. Even even the receptive listener can be an active participant in the interpretation of the art. And that's why art is so good. And that can be one of the best and worst parts about having your stuff out there. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Did you guys get, uh, I mean, you know, what we were just saying about Pitchfork, a lot of people having this idea of it being some hipster thing, and also the Junos. I mean, a lot of people that I know that are in kind of uh, into heavier music or more, you know, less popular styles of music they kind of tend to shit on the Junos I'm sure I've done it before you know mm-hmm. I'm sure we've all done it on the show and stuff and like did you get any backlash from people being like oh you guys are on the Juno I mean it no. seems like a thing you should be proud of and everything but not really I think a lot of people were just really surprised at the bands they selected like yeah. especially the first year where I was like wow they're really I thought this too they're making a statement with how they want this to go yeah um, and I still continue to believe that like even this year there was some pretty subversive stuff like us Gorgut's Ancients. Yeah. Um, who else was up for it? Gorgut's actually showed up in a crossword puzzle I was doing the other day. Wow. It was insane. <laughs> in, in Uptown? No, no. It was like on the computer. We have these, uh, at my work in the lunchroom, they have these tablets with a bunch of games loaded on them like for people to mess around with. And like Canadian crosswords, whatever. Yeah, Gorgut's right. is one of the clues. Yeah. Crazy. Blew my mind. But 
the fact that those kinds of bands are up for a major award like that. It's yeah, still it's cool. trippy. Although this year, Protest the Hero won, and they're yeah. the most popular and the most poppy. So yeah, they are for sure. Yeah. Part of us, like we were, I think it was us and the Flatliners were the only ones who actually even showed up to the Junos this oh, really? year. And uh, so Protest the Hero didn't even bother. No. Well, I think everyone else was on tour. Oh, that mean, yeah. Ancients so. didn't get funding to go there from Star Maker, which they have like this certain limited amount of money that they have for flying some of the people out to oh, okay. be a part of the awards and play Juno Fest and I guess they got denied funding so they couldn't go. And you guys were already here because in Winnipeg. Yeah. So yeah, although at the time like our bassist lived in the States so we didn't get money to fly him up. Right, right. Um, so it's just kind of funny that only two of the bands were there and both of us lost. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, in the heat of the moment like Shane and I were sitting there going like, we know we shouldn't win, but we really want to win. Yeah. <laughs> and then well, it would be pretty cool to win two yeah. in a row, right? Like, and then when Protest the Hero won, it was just kind of, we felt it kind of took a little bit of the meaning away, because like, I don't know, from a critical standpoint, their record wasn't really that highly regarded, and they were the most popular band and the most yeah. poppy of the bands. And, Gore got slayed with all of their critical praise last year. They're one of the top-rated metal albums in the entire world. Yeah. And to have them not win, we thought that was... Protest winning just kind of felt pointless. Yeah, it seems Nothing like against Protest the Hero. Like, it's not necessarily my style. They're very good at what they do, yeah. and they work very hard, but... The Junos are kind of this weird thing, because, like, I know, like, a few years ago, last time the Junos were in Winnipeg, actually... Uh, DJ Brace won a Juno, mm-hmm. and for a lot of bands, uh, winning a Juno might mean you know like it's only it's only a matter of time before people come knocking at your door. But like DJ Brace found that he still couldn't get shows in Canada, and mm-hmm. he just like no one gave a shit. He he just recently had to move to the states to like to keep his career going because mm-hmm. no one gave a shit. And um, my girlfriend's brother's fiance. This is actually just a funny side note. She has a Juno. Oh, really? For, like, singing on some techno track that, like, the guy won a Juno for. Like, she she's not a musician at all. She just sang on this one song and won a Juno. Huh. Juno's so, Song of the Year or something? Like no, that? like, probably electronic yeah. single of the year or something. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't Tex-Mex even know. Tex-Mex single of the year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shane had this stock uh, statement he was going to make the first time we played a show after winning the Juno because we knew that, like, people make a big deal out of it like, oh, like you guys are becoming stars and it's like <laughs> yeah. first shitty show we play in America I'm whipping this out this is bullshit we want a Juno <laughs> <laughs> and literally it was the, I think oh, wait we played a show in Winnipeg after we won like a couple months and it was a killer show and then the next show we played was in Fargo North Dakota and I think we played to like 15 people oh, wow. and it was just terrible and Shane went all right, all right. You ready for this? <laughs> this is book. <laughs> and no one probably even knew what a Juno was. No. Why would they care? He didn't do it on stage or anything. He did it to me. Oh, okay. but we both got it's a good, good laugh but, yeah, out of it. But we should probably get into the next. Yeah, song, uh, I'm gonna play something. I think that's cool. Sure. Um, this is totally a departure from everything we've been talking about. But uh, I'm gonna play a song by UB40. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> people who know me know that I'm a you know I'm, I'm very very reggae obsessive. And UB40, I find that. Uh, Although they are a, reggae, a pop reggae band, they're a reggae band, and people tend to like just shit all over UB40 because they have an they have an idea of what they are based on Red Red Wine, based on all the other pop singles, most of which are covers that came out in the '80s and everything. And um, I've always found that they have a lot of really good stuff, especially their early stuff. It was very political. It was uh, a lot harder in terms of. Uh, 
just sound. It wasn't so synthy and stuff as um, as a lot of the later stuff. But it kind of gets overlooked because they, they have such huge smash hits. So they have a song called King, which is the first thing that I thought of. It's their first single. It came out in '79 or '78, I think, and um, it's really good. It's one of my favorite uh, UB40 songs. But uh, when I was thinking, uh, when I initially thought about this, I'm like, okay, I want to play UB40. Um, I'm excited about the song. But then since, uh, you know, this got rescheduled and it's happening now, I've discovered some things about UB40 that are hilarious that are happening at the moment. Um, like, they were, they've been around for since the late 70s. And um, for the longest time, their singer was this guy, Ali Campbell. And uh, he quit, uh, I don't know, four or five years ago and to do a solo career. And they replaced him with one of his brothers who has no background in UB40, he's just like some guy who I guess can kind of sing, and he kind of sings like him, but worse, and he kind of looks like him, but it's not right. <laughs> but he's uglier. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly, right? He's like this weird, like, fake imitation of him. And uh, so, so what slowly happened is a bunch of other guys have quit UB40 as well, and now the version of UB40 that exists is... Um, it almost sounds like bad karaoke. Like, a lot of stuff is very, very synthesized. Like, they replace instruments with just keyboards. And uh, the guy is not as good of a singer, and he's very um, very kind of hokey stage mannerisms and stuff. Like, it's like Vegasy and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So And then they put out a, a country album uh, a couple <laughs> years ago that this guy was, uh, like, the new singer was spearheaded, right? And so um, Astro, the guy, who's the other singer, who's the guy who does the, the toasting DJ vocals, um, he quit. He'd been in the band for the whole time, too. He finally quit the country album because I can't, I can't do this. And so he left. And so they're, they're still going on like this with, like, you know, a few original guys and this new singer. And uh, what ended up happening was um, the original singer, he was like, this is bullshit. I, I can't handle having my songs being played by this fake version of my old band. So I'm starting a new band again, and it's called UB40. <laughs> so he, he got Astro. So both original singers now are in the new UB40 yeah. and the original keyboard player. So there's two versions of the band and they're all they're all in their 50s and 60s and they're it's like fighting... It's Black Flag. It's like Black Flag. And they're fighting each other on the internet and it's amazing. Uh, <laughs> nothing like 50s and 60s. 50 guys in their 60s. How do they, get like a, how do they both get away with calling Well, they don't. They're suing each other. And of course it's, they are. It's amazing. And like, the version of the band that has the original sing... Both original singers is awesome. Like They put out, they put out a new single and it sounds like the song I'm going to play. Like it's, it's very much uh, the style they started out with. And then the new one is doing country and pop reggae and really bad like... Just it, it's awful. It's like if you watch a video side by side on YouTube, it's like one of them is just disgusting. And terrible. Did, like when when a UB40 comes to your town to play a how show, do you, how do you know? This who is, you're and going this to has come see? up like, on, on their on their on their social media and their websites and stuff. They have all these posts. You know, both of them. Like this show is being advertised. It's not UB40. We're the real UB40. Oh, this is the other UB40. So it's just this huge mess. And uh, so anyway, the one UB40 that's good is the, has has the the main two two singers from the original band, the main songwriter from the original band. And they played the older style, and now the new one is just this horrible pop country reggae disaster. But I'm going to play King, which maybe, is their... Yeah, maybe they'll, like, make amends and just open for each other. No, no. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine, though, if you quit a band, and then, like, your brother came in and... No, that's weird. That's like getting divorced, and then, like... And the other... The guitarist the guitarist is his other brother. So there was, there was two brothers who started yeah. the band. The one guy quit 40 years later, and then this other third brother that no one knew about came in and... So, anyway, this is... <laughs> <laughs> this song's way back. I like the story. I like. I'm kind of following the whole. What a uh, shithead brother! Like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. I know. And then made a country album. Like, what is he thinking? His, like, what is? I want to. I kind of want to know the dynamics. Like, who's the oldest and the youngest? Like, is the guy who came? The new in guy later? is the oldest. I think. The new. He, he's like their older brother. Oh. Who replaced? So the two See? younger ones started the band, and then they're like, oh shit. I you feel know. like that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's listen to the song. We'll talk about it after. <laughs> 
So yeah, I don't know if that is what you guys expect from UB40 or not, but I think that people have really? a, an idea. <laughs> people that have an idea the, of them being popular. That was the bell that I had no idea what was going on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did not know what to expect. I was shocked. <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like they they have this reputation for being a pop band, which they are. I like that song but, though. Yeah, it's uh, it's. I like the fade outs and the like weird kind of you know keyboards coming in and out. It almost sounds kind of like really modern with those weird sounds and shit. Yeah. Yeah, it's But it's uh, it also sounds like... Like it was made in the late 70s. <laughs> yeah. Like the <laughs> instruments seem like there were a lot of toys used. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like keyboards you can get at like Value Village. Yeah, which something. were yeah. probably like... sounded like, there was like that a, Casio sitting right there. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was probably like state-of-the-art at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or maybe not. I don't know. Like, I don't know, you know what their what their budget was for recording their first couple singles. But or maybe it was a really great keyboard recorded very poorly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it could have yeah. been that too. Yeah, yeah. Just put this one effects on it and then it turns out yeah. like that. <laughs> I don't Reet. know. But yeah, I like that band a lot. I have like quite a few of their records and I think that... Uh, I feel that people treat them as a joke, novelty, one-hit wonder. But yeah, yeah, you were saying they had how many albums released as covers? They've like done four covers? volumes of cover albums. Yeah. And and why did they turn to just doing covers? Like, well, they they did they they put out a bunch of their own original stuff like this, and then they did one covered album which had Red Red Wine on it, and that blew up. So and they did. I, so they followed suit. They followed the money. <laughs> yeah, let's yeah, be real. There's yeah, way more money in covers <laughs> well, there, yeah, than there is doing original. So, uh, you know what? It, it changes the whole dynamic of the, the story you were telling before this song because how could they get mad at the, the UB40 well, cover band <laughs> when they were just a cover band? <laughs> they weren't just a cover band, though. They, they, it's not like they did. A, they all of a sudden did a block of cover albums. They did them over like the decades. They would do another one every like 15 years later and then another one after that, like in between like three or four actual mm-hmm. original albums. So, Right. But the, the thing is, like the original, the first cover album was all covers of, like, you know, legit stuff, like stylistically <laughs> relevant stuff. Like it was, uh, you know, it's all songs of like, uh, you know, they made it their own. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> they did. Yeah, yeah. No, but like Red Red Wine isn't even a cover. Like it's a cover of a cover. They're covering the Tony Tribe Skinhead Reggae version of it, and it's originally a Neil Diamond song. Like it's so they're they're covering on that first covers album. A bunch of like you know er- early reggae uh, and there's some like early dancehall stuff they cover some ska stuff that they were listening to at the time that kind of inspired them to start a reggae band and then after that it's just like hey let's just do soul covers let's do like you know 50s covers let's do whatever because people are buying this so yeah. and then they did a country album which is mostly country covers on that note Ken Mode is doing a covers album yeah <laughs> be pretty good Oh, God, that would fail even worse than our regular albums. Well, your regular albums have been pretty good lately. <laughs> pretty <laughs> successful lately. Everything's yeah. relative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right, right when that song came on, everyone who's listening to the show, because they like Ken Moe, just immediately turned it yeah. off. It's like, are you before? What are they talking about? <laughs> this is boring! <laughs> <laughs> I don't care about these guys. <laughs> are they high? No. No, either is you before, apparently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We'll be talking about that while it was playing, the concept yeah, of, were, yeah, yeah, of a yeah. reggae band that's not on any drugs. They're just standing there, like, flexing and just <laughs> getting their rage on. I think it could happen. I think it's super intense. Yeah, yeah. Super intense, like, s- lurching over that keyboard, like, just all your muscles flex, just kind of tapping it, but, like, staring everyone down in <laughs> well, the audience. Isn't, wouldn't that have been, like, a lot of the ska stuff in England, like, at yeah. that time? Because they were all doing meth, right? <laughs> Yeah, they're they were doing amphetamines. Jack up, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, they probably were like, <laughs> just, like, crazy eyes. Yeah, yeah. 
And that's why, like, I asked the question, like, what kind of drugs? Because I was, I was trying to figure out who, who went to their shows. And, like, know, a good way know. to figure out who know. goes to their shows is to know what kind of drugs they do. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> it determines the crowd. Like, maybe, I don't know. To, to an extent, I mean. I mean, now it's probably, like, I don't know who goes to It could be anybody. Old people. Yeah, old, old people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who are just like, play red wine. Yeah, yeah. And that's gonna suck too. my mess. <laughs> <laughs> it would be really funny though to be in a band. I mean, not. It, it's funny as an outsider to see two bands with the same name because there's a few other bands that have done that too, and it's hilarious. Like, where they're <laughs> pretending to be the same thing, and it'd be like one original member to be like the original bass player or something, you know, and then a bunch of studio guys. Oh, we're still yeah, whatever. I really, I really wanted to go see uh, Per Ubu, but then apparently uh, it's just the. Because they were playing in Chicago last September, and I was like, seriously, consider driving down for it. But it turns out it's just the singer. The rest of the band's not in, not involved anymore. And apparently, like, he's a huge asshole and, like, creep with women's. Oh, yeah. Kind of, and, and I don't know if that should matter, but it, it did kind of sour the whole thing for me. Wait, because it's not what you, you were expecting from the record? So. Yeah, like, I guess you just kind of like, expect this kind of purity about it. And it's just <laughs> like when you hear, like... You need to meet more touring musicians. Yeah, full time. yeah. I guess, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Right. so. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, a lonely, lonely life. Yeah. <laughs> can be depressing. It well, I really guess also, can. like when you get th- these kind of bands that have been around for thirty, forty years, like the odds on actually having all the original guys in it is probably pretty low. I think yeah. for pretty much anybody. Like, yeah. Look well, at ACDC. I, was, yeah. I just read an article. I think it was on Metal Sucks that was actually talking about that with full time touring bands and the. Uh, when you analyze whether or not they have all their original members, it usually is directly correlated to how much money they're making. Yeah. Because especially, and it's it's funny that they put it this way, that bands who always kind of struggle to actually take home money and make ends meet, they tend to cycle through members a lot quicker because obviously it's harder to keep people dedicated yeah. to the cause. And at the time that this was uh, said, we'd... Uh, just parted ways with our sixth bass player. Yeah, so you guys I found went through a lot of bases. Entertaining yeah. that uh, they're bringing that up, and like, Shane and I are still obviously the original members, but yeah, uh, yeah it's tough to get people who you can get along with twenty four seven all the time. Yeah. How did you come? Like, how did you meet your current bass player? Because he he's from Florida. Uh, he's actually now our ex bassist. Oh really? Oh right. yeah. So we have we have another new guy. Wow. Well, winning a Juno wasn't enough for him. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, you guys made that up. There's no such thing as a Juno. Yeah. <laughs> Technically, uh, it's funny because he didn't even play on the record we won for. Oh really? But he was at the Junos for that one, and then the one that he played on, he wasn't at. One because we didn't get funding for, and two we were on the outs with him uh, and I don't think he really cared so whatever is what it is but yeah that kind of schedule breaks people yeah I guess you don't get along yeah. very well that you're can gonna, be tough yeah you're gonna find out pretty yeah Pretty soon. Well, I guess with a three-piece band too, like, and especially when the other two guys are brothers, it's got to be like yeah. With us, it's a it's a psychotic situation. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah. And yeah. if you're, he, he just wasn't the same type of person. He's a cooler guy than we are. Right. <laughs> Us not being cool doesn't you guys drive very well. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fucking cool people. They're the worst. <laughs> <laughs> not if you're cool and you're with a bunch of other cool people, then it's cool. Right. Everybody's cool. <laughs> we suck. We're lame. We're no fun. And that's how things go. Yeah. Right. So, what's the longest amount of time you've had a basis for? Like, was the original guy the longest? Like, I think Daryl was the longest amount of time. And we didn't. I think he went on three tours, 
Uh, Andrew, our most recent one, played by far the most number of shows. Yeah, he played more team. shows with us than everyone else combined. But he was only in the band for two and a half years. So who played bass on uh, Venerable then? Uh, Chad Tremblay, who's from Winnipeg. Okay. He played bass on that one. He t- did a bunch of touring with us, but he quit right before we started doing it full time. Because he found he could not afford to dedicate the time to it. Do you have to like have a bassist in mind, like a new one, before you part ways with your old one? Or is it just like... It depends how prepared we are. Uh, When Chad quit, we didn't have anything backed up because he was supposed to be ready to tour full time with us. So we kind of patched together a bunch of tours with people just willing to fill in. Which made it really hard because I was training new people before every bloody tour. And uh, when Andrew offered, uh, he's our most recent bassist who was living in Florida at the time, uh, we said, sure, and basically kept using him the first couple tours just because we had no other option, and then we ended up writing a record with him, and we, we, we got along well enough to make it work, and uh, near the end of the touring cycle, we kind of determined that we we just didn't get along well enough to make this worthwhile for everyone. It's it's better for everyone to be having fun what they're doing and it's it was it went kind of like a really good relationship does when you all recognize like yeah this isn't as good as it should be yeah. let's just truncate we'd yeah. all be better off doing something else so we're really happy with the way that turned out That's but uh, it's too bad it didn't work obviously because it's never fun when things you put a lot of work in to don't work yeah. out, but well, I guess the lo- the longer you get into your career as Ken mode too, like the more material there is to teach the new guy. Whoever yeah. the new guy is going to be, like it's a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's not it's not <laughs> like it's simple stuff too. I mean, you're not, you know for a three piece band, you, bass is a pretty heavy like yeah. element of what you're doing. Like, Do you guys get like are you ever at shows where you get like uh, asked to ask for requests and the bass player better know it? Uh, sometimes people will request stuff, and most of the time we politely decline. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because what we write out set lists before the tours start, so we typically play the same thing every night. That's like tight as a glove. Yeah, right. There's no margin for error. Um, although sometimes we'll screw around, and if someone recommends something that we know that we can pull up, we have like people have requested things off our second record, and Andrew knew them, so it's like, do you want to play that tonight? We haven't played that in a long time. This might be a disaster, but yeah. here goes. Yeah. But it's not like spur of the moment, like someone shouting from the crowd, play this. Like that'll never happen. So when you when you're teaching the the new bassist, uh, you know, whenever you've replaced one, is it just kind of like only focus on the set list until the tour is over, and then we kind of yeah 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 for the most part. Although with uh, this new one, Scott, who uh, lives in Saskatoon, he's the new guy. Um, he kind of had some foresight, so he was able to learn a bunch of the stuff. Cool. So it's just much actually like when Andrew came in, he learned a bunch of the material beforehand. We kind of told him, here's what the set you should learn. Um, so he learned it on his own time, and then I kind of tweaked where things yeah. were wrong, because obviously when Did, it's a little more intricate, it's hard to learn note for note. Do the new bassists that come in, are they like fanboys sometimes? Uh, last couple have been fans of the band. Uh, like, what are you thinking? It's just like someone who's like, yeah, my favorite Just like Eaton already knows the songs? Just like sits home and plays No, them. not really. Uh, <laughs> Scott, we've been friends with for quite a few years, I think like eight years oh, well. now. I met him uh, when we played Regina with Pelican and Daughters in 2006, and we've been friends since he started doing shows for us in Saskatoon. And we just, we have really similar taste, and he's 
very similar personality type to the way we are. He's just a nerd who loves music. Likes the same restaurants. Yeah. Actually, I don't know. I don't think he has that uh, specific taste in food, so that's something we're going to have to work with yeah. him. He, he's never really cared that much about, I think, what he eats, and I care way too much about what I eat. Are you vegan? No. Okay. I just like delicious things. Okay. <laughs> I sure actually, that's the obvious question. I get upset on tour if I don't get a good meal. Like, if I have to eat fast food, I'm going to be pissed off. Yeah. Screw that. The one thing, uh, the thing you were saying about, um, well, you were asking, are the, are the new bassist fanboys? Like, it reminded me of, uh, like, our friend Dave in the Brad Attack. He, um, the Brad Attack still exists somehow mm-hmm. in Newfoundland with uh, <laughs> completely new people. It's yeah, just him. And he, he, he plays shows like anywhere. Does he really can- love that name? That he, can play shows anywhere, <laughs> he, can play, he can play shows anywhere in Canada right now. And he has people who will play, like, he calls them up, hey, we're touring. Yeah, he could tour. He, has, he does. A band at every, but he every played, band. I've seen video of some shows he played where, he had maybe one or two other guys with him and they just asked people in the crowd like hey do you want to play bass for the show and like some guy just came up and just like it's ridiculous that's weird it's weird yeah I can't I, we could never pull that off yeah I can't, I can't <laughs> although the more popular we get the more resources we have but uh, you guys are too intricate for that shit yeah, yeah I think it's yeah definitely we'd have to have like tabs up on our website yeah. downloadable tabs yeah. it's gonna teleprompter yeah. with tabs not a bad idea. you think you can play in Ken mode prepare yourself yeah. we're going on the tab <laughs> yeah. tour just have people send you YouTube videos in advance. Oh, God. Yeah. I'd just it, be like Pharrell on Oprah crying seeing <laughs> people playing your, your songs. <laughs> I really hope it never resorts to that. I mean, we have a bad enough reputation now, and it's... I, on the last tour cycle, I had to kind of explicitly tell people, like, we really haven't been through that many bassists, because, like, we really only had four guys who more or less were, like, actually in the band. Yeah. And then a couple people who filled in. But I guess still, now that we're on... We, we keep calling Scott lucky number seven. <laughs> in 15 years. That's really... Well, it's not great, but it's not horrible. Well, two-thirds of the band has stayed the same. So yeah. It's good. Rob, do you want to play something to get... Uh, yeah, let's... Cause this good. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm going to play um, a song by uh, T. La Rock called uh, Lyrical King off uh, the album The Lyrical King of the Boogie Down Bronx um, I've been really getting into like early like 80s hip hop electro recently um, which is kind of an interesting um, genre and like subgenre of hip hop because I think um, it's become kind of like forgotten and almost like a joke in the history of hip hop because it's 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 that style from the 80s that sounds really dated like big drum machines and like and synthesizers and stuff but I've been really getting into it lately because I've been reading up on uh, reading up and listening to some podcasts with some like old like producers that started in the 80s and just hearing about how back in the 80s a lot of these producers who became like um, like big hip-hop producers like Marley Marl for example they were originally really into like electronica and, and like um, stuff like that and so I've just been like kind of exploring it more, exploring it more. So uh, T. La Rock is one of those artists from uh, you know the early '80s who was uh, kind of that drum machine synthesizer rap sound. Who's like sounds really dated, but I'm uh, I'm really into it right now. Cool. Um, so let we haven't played a song in a while, so let's play the song and then I'll talk about it more afterwards. Sure. 
That sounded like he said T-Bone Johnson or something. <laughs> T-Bone <laughs> <That's> Johnson. <laughs> Lyrical King by Tila Rock. So, uh, uh, Tila Rock was, uh, how he got into to rapping was, he was actually the brother of Special K uh, from The Treacherous Three. And um, Rick Rubin, who we all know from Def Jam, um, really wanted to put out a song with The Treacherous Three because um, he had never put out any records before. He was still at NYU and he was like starting Def Jam out of his dorm room. And he had he was going to a lot of the hip hop clubs in the early 80s and he felt like none of the records that were coming out reflected what was going on in the hip hop clubs. Yeah. So he approached Treacherous 3 and he was like, uh, Treacherous 3 had I think one single out at that time and, and he was like, I really like what you guys do but I don't feel your single does you justice. You need to come work with me. And so they were like hanging out at, at Rick Rubin's, um, in Rick Rubin's dorm room but the Treacherous 3 were under contract so they couldn't release anything with anyone else. Um, but um, Tila Rock, who was uh, the brother of uh, one of the members of Treacherous Three, was was available to do something. So uh, Tila Rock was writing a song with Special K uh, called "It's Yours," which he referenced in that song, right? Which is like a really, really like super canonical song for like hip hop. It's actually the first song that Rick Rubin ever produced. Oh, cool. And uh, the Beastie Boys were in the studio when they recorded that record. Actually, um, Ad-Rock is doing backup vocals on that song. And it's actually the first time that the Beastie Boys drank uh, um, Brass Monkey, which obviously the became songs, a really yeah. big thing for them. Yeah. And so it's, yeah, like a really, really famous thing. And, and uh, Tila Rock, when he recorded uh, It's Yours, he didn't even want to become a rapper. He didn't actually want to record it. He thought Special K was going to record it. And Tila Rock worked in a pharmacy as a pharmacist. He had a good job. He's making good money. He didn't want to fuck with the, the yeah. rap shit. But uh, Special K couldn't record it, so Tila Rock ended up doing it. And then it was like a year before the single came out. And apparently Tila Rock was um, at work in the pharmacy and was like listening to the radio and his song came on the radio cool. and it was like, this is the number one requested song of the week. And it was his song. That he did just, Yeah, and it just took off for him. Um, he actually stayed on as a pharmacist for a really, really long time, like for another couple of years before like the money for playing shows just became too big. And... Uh, yeah, so they put out this record. Which this is actually his first record, like, full length. And uh, a lot of it was produced by um, Mantronics, which is, like, another huge name in, like, electro-hip-hop from the well, 80s. What, yeah, what else have they... Is that, well, they that person are they done? Uh, well, they're a group, and they did, like, their own albums. And they're, like, really... Um, they've been sampled tons. Like, um, you know, like, that Beck song, um, I Got Two Turntables and a Microphone. Yeah, like, yeah. that's sampled from Mantronics. Like, uh, Beastie Boys sampled them. They're, like, really... Another, like, really canonical group. And, um... So, yeah, Tila Rock has a really interesting history, and it's... You know, like, like hip-hop started with the breaks, and rappers would rap over, you know, DJ doing breaks over two yeah. turntables. Mm -hmm. And so it started with sampling, but, like, it, in the late 70s and early 80s, like samplers were incredibly expensive and they were like huge yeah. and the only people that had them were you know st like big studios making huge yeah. pop hits couldn't they only do like very short amounts of time too or something or yeah that too and like i actually was listening to this podcast with marley marl and he was talking about because he's like credited as the person who was first 
the first one to chop drums and it, and chopping drums just means like instead of taking a drum loop you would take the pieces right. of a drum loop and then uh, arrange them how you wanted and th the way he figured out how to do that is he was like um, an intern at a studio and he was just fucking around with the sampler they had and he accidentally cut um, a sample on a snare and he's like holy shit I can just play the snare and that's how he figured out how to do that mm. But yeah, like most people were just doing drum machines and synthesizers because they couldn't afford samplers, and that yeah. wasn't really how it was being done at the time. It was all drum machines and synthesizers because of it, because you couldn't really go into a studio and make a record of a DJ playing breaks because you didn't have the rights. You were, yeah, it, yeah. it was too expensive to do that. Um, so yeah, a lot of that early hip, that's why a lot of the early hip hop is drum machines and uh, synthesizers and that electro sound. And cool. Um, yeah, like I've, for a while, like I didn't really like it. like. Like, I, you know, grew up listening to 90s hip-hop. There's all sample and dirty and, like, not danceable. Yeah. But uh, more recently, I've been getting a lot more into this stuff. Yeah, I don't know. You turn on a lot of, like, just cheapo keyboards and take the drum sounds, and they're pretty They're pretty good, actually. You have, like, you can even take, like, a rock one and slow it down, and it's, it's well, that's, pretty cool. Well, we talked about that uh, on, on the Dead yeah, People episode right. with uh, yeah. the slang tang rhythm is just... It's just yeah. Casio, yeah. and that's, like, the, one of the iconic dance hall... Yeah, put that sucker through a tube amp. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, I don't know if I had to freaking afford that. If you're probably not, maybe steal a tube amp. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it has like a lot of parallel. Like the the hip hop scene in New York has a lot of parallels with like the synth scene in in England in the late seventies. Right, oh, yeah. it's like these groups. Like as soon as these cheap synthesizers came out, it was no longer these only these prog groups that could afford these like big expensive yeah, synthesizers yeah. and all of a sudden anyone could aff yeah. afford a synthesizer yeah. and like it's it spawned so much music from uh, like a class of people who just couldn't afford to make music before that yeah so um, it's interesting time in music in general like the late 70s early 80s for sure that's good I like that it was cool I like that that kind of uh, I don't know how you like lo-fi sort of well, it's really simple, right? All there is is that beat, and there's like a bass keyboard sound every once in a while, and mm -hmm. the guy's voice. And the yeah, but yeah, it's part of the beat. So like, yeah, very simplified. I like that too. There's a lot of yeah. There's modern music that's emulating that same kind of. Yeah, thing, I feel like this stuff like is probably due for a comeback based on what people listen to now. A and sound to kind of tie it in. Someone's voice. Yeah, I think um, they need to invent an electric cowbell that you can actually, like, you can play and then give you that. Yeah, be great. Put it through a pedal. Plug it in. Put it someone in should re. <laughs> someone should take that Will Ferrell skit and then just like every time he hits the cowbell, just put like put in like one of those electronic cowbells. That'd be great. Yeah, be more fun. cowbell. <laughs> do 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 do. <laughs> be pretty good. I wonder if they have like electronic drum set cowbell. Oh, oh for must. sure they must. Well, because yeah. they're all MIDI. All those electronic drums are MIDI. Yeah. You could have but all I, I cowbell. Mean, like, not, not just even, well, like, obviously you can have the MIDI sound. You could apply it to anything. But I mean, like, one of those big right. plastic well, it looks drums. Like cowbell, yeah, 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 yeah. You can just wail on. To scale. Yeah, but it almost seems unsatisfying if you're playing it and there's not one of those there like to, yeah. to make that. But it, it would be kind of neat because you'd be just like, hit it. you could hit this big hunk of rubber with a yeah. hammer and stuff. Just yeah. But would it have, like, um, crazy effects on it and stuff? It would, would it have, like, uh, What's that thing called, like touch control too? Like if you hit the harder you hit it, the louder yeah. it would be. Yeah. Like, so I wonder what the hammer would do. <laughs> <laughs> Make that cracking sound. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I don't know if that's realistic. I, I hope that I don't know. <laughs> We're pretty cool. Where have we gone with this? I don't know. Hammers on cowbells. Cowbell city. John, let's. Why don't you save us and play? Yeah, well, again. I'll get into a, a song 
right real quick. Um, I'm going to play a song by Neutral Milk Hotel, who's uh, in a rock group, late 90s. Um, they've come up before because I played a song by Olivia Tremor Control. I yeah, it was a good song. I like that. Yeah, and so one of the guys from that, Jeff Magnum, went on to do Neutral Milk Hotel. He's like the main guy. Um, but they came out with two full-length albums, and like w- the first one, he was like living in people's closets. Apparently, like he was just like a traveling oh. guy playing some random shows and not really doing anything. Put this, put an album together, and I guess it had a little bit of success. And by the time he was recording this second album uh, on Avery Island, I think no, that was the first one. Anyway, uh, but when he was recording the second one, there was an actual band, and it, it was pretty well received, and they did some bigger touring and then he just like quit he just like didn't want to play shows anymore he didn't want to he just wanted to go on like a hiatus and it became like this extended thing he didn't play music and he's like he's played some shows i guess here and there but the only things that have been released were kind of a compilation from like early early stuff from before any of this and uh yeah he just kind of like wasn't into being in a, a music scene. Don't these guys have some kind of cult following or something? Yeah, this album in particular had like was I've yeah, never actually has, heard has a bit of a cult following. Yeah. So um how, how does it fit the theme? Um it's a good question. What was the uh <laughs> The King well the first song on the album is called King of Flowers Part One. Okay. And the second song is part two and th- or King of Carrot Flowers. And uh, right. the second song is part two and three, so I think I'm just they go like they bleed into each other. It's like the same song with different parts. Okay. So I think I'll play uh, King of Carrot Flowers part part one, two, and three. All right, let's check it out. All right, King of Carrot Flowers parts one through three. I really didn't didn't like identify a difference so much between the parts. No, what part between part one and part two and three? There's a bit of a, a lull, but uh, no, they're way different. I thought they were one. The one first is what was off like a kazoo, and That's the other true. part had, had like distortion. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I wasn't. Yeah. All right, I'm completely wrong there. A <laughs> kazoo. Uh, of course you do. Yeah. So it turns out Neutral Milk Hotel is on tour right now. Yeah. Which yeah, I didn't realize that. I, uh, I didn't do my. How do you? Is this one of those bands research. that someone just dumped on your iPod, or do you? No, I mean I've, I've listened to this quite a bit. Like I. Just Let's not think recently. Of thing he often has I have a lot of uh, yeah random music on my iPod, but um, that's kind of an awesome thing to have, where you just randomly get stuff from friends and yeah. you put it on random. It's like, who is this? This is awesome. I have had that happen. Where You've had that actually on the show a lot. A lot of stuff you played has been from just like I don't know where this came I've from. I've never heard it before. Yeah. It's been it's there and yeah, because yeah, you know I I can't just sit around and listen to all of it or I don't. Yeah. I always want to listen to something, and so I always go to something I'm familiar with. I don't necessarily just search out yeah the thing with the name you never heard I don't know if I should try it yeah yeah. yeah um, it's good to have friends with good taste <laughs> or different taste or taste different some kind of <laughs> but it's hard when you're someone who has really specific taste like I notice like I get um, I, I have people like friends who I really respect their musical taste but at the same time they'll like be like you gotta listen to this this is my yeah. favorite shit right now and I'll just be like I don't fucking get it yeah. I'm not into this but at the same time, you know, you, from those same friends, you'll get recommendations that turn out to be like, "Holy shit, this is this one of my favorite, favorite bands now." Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought you were gonna say like friends who lo- will say something like, "Oh, you're gonna really like this." Like they almost like select it out for you, and then you're like, "Well, no, this." That's happened, and, 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 and to be honest, I've done that to my friends where I'm like, "You're gonna fucking love this," and yeah. then you know, like a week later, I'm like, "Did you listen to?" <laughs> Did you like, love it? Yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, "Fine then, fuck you." <laughs> <laughs> Defriend them on Facebook. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so 
Well, I got, I'll know if that ever happens to me. <laughs> <laughs> Why is Rob not on my Facebook? Sam, you have a good track record of getting me into a lot of bands. Yeah, you do. Offending music nerds. Yeah, yeah. I actually took a test on the internet, like a test. I took one of those stupid quizzes on the internet the other day, but whether I'm a music snob, and I got like 57%, so that's all right. I mean, yeah. Was that the Vice? Was that Vice that did that? Yeah, I don't know what it was. No, it was like BuzzFeed or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's that. right. It was I, I started that quiz, and like a, many of those quizzes that I've, I start and then went yeah, to like the third it, yeah. question, I'm like, this this doesn't apply to me. I can't yeah. even answer yeah. this question. What were some of the criteria? Well, but I mean, a lot of it was just, uh, you know, a typical, like, stereotypical record nerd stuff. But then it would be something about, you know, do you keep your MP3s in? in how do you categorize your MP3s? And I'm like, I don't have MP3s. <laughs> I don't know. I can't answer this. Which was, should make you even more of a nerd. Right. I should... Uh, I should <laughs> Although, it, it started to get into like how you catalog MP3 catalogs and stuff, so it was legit yeah. like nerd stuff. Yeah. It should be one question though. It's like how do you like how do you catalog your MP3s? And one of those options should be I don't have MP3s, and then it should be like you're a music nerd. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> like I took one today, which is actually are you a feminist? Yeah. And the question is, do you think men and women should be equal in everything? Yeah. And it's yes or no, yeah. and it's the only question. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty good actually. And I said no. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Man, I totally beat you in that quiz then. Did you? What'd you get? I got 59. Nice. <laughs> this is how low we've sunk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Someone's listening to this. Yeah. Just Discussing BuzzFeed yeah. music quiz. nerd quizzes yeah. we took on Facebook. Yep. I'm gonna kill myself after this. Uh, I'll podcast, do it with you, man. So. If we do it together, there's more power in it. Yeah, I think we could maybe meaningful. get a story written about yeah, us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hey, you want a Juno? I could probably get a story regardless. Yeah, yeah. 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 You don't need me. Yeah. Juno I'll, winner commits suicide yeah. after doing podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How about I could make you guys famous by killing you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That's good. Everybody all over again. Too fresh. Yeah. All right, well, don't kill anybody until after you play one more one more song for us. Yeah. Should we get into that right now? I sure. think it's, yeah. it's time it's just, for something yeah. a little more uplifting. Yeah. The Birthday Party, King Inc. Cool. This, sure. this should be... God, this came out before I was born. It would have probably been earlier in the year, 1981. I was later in the year. These guys are Australian or something? Yeah. yeah. Well, they were born in Australia, moved to England, I believe, and then moved to Berlin, I'm oh, not weird. mistaken, because I think they thought the British scene at the time was boring. <laughs> and everyone knows all the shite Nick Cave's done since. Yeah, for sure, yeah. Some of his bandmates, uh, oh, I always end up forgetting what their names were. McCarvey, I think, and Roland S. Howard went on to do some solo stuff, and McCarvey worked with Nick Cave in the Bad Seeds. Uh, for me, none of that stuff compares to the birthday party, though. They will forever be my favorite of all those guys' projects, and because of that, that's really all I listen to when I want to get a Nick Cave fix. So, how did you uh, how'd you get into them? Um, I actually got into the birthday party upon a recommendation from Zach Walsh, who used to play. Uh, he was the singer for Stag Mummer, okay. a local noise rock band back yeah. in the nineties. Um, he was. We were uh, talking about Stag Mummer earlier. On the way, on the way that's here. Weird. Yeah. yeah. That's really weird, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He was uh, a student teacher at my high school. Literally the first day of high school, he was there and terrified our first bassist, Daryl, because Daryl was wearing a cow shirt. 
and this little bald guy came up to Daryl and was like, "You like the cows? I like the cows." Whoa! <laughs> Let's like, be friends. <laughs> Daryl came up to me later that day. This crazy bald dude just like accosted me in the hallway about my shirt. That was really <laughs> weird. And uh, we later found out that Zach, like that night, went to stag mummer practice and was like telling all his bandmates, oh, like, "There's the these school, weird yeah. kids in my school that I'm at that like they yeah. like the cows and the Jesus lizard and like what is going on here?" Yeah. And I know uh, he was the student teacher in my honors English class, and we had some bullshit like introductory exercise thing where the people were supposed to bring something to the class and describe it and how it uh, is involved in their life, kind of how it would explain a piece of who they are to the class and I know right. I brought in like I couldn't think of anything so I brought in a mixtape that I made it's like because obviously since I was a teenager music has been a ridiculous crippling part of my life and uh, I said yeah the music I listen to is like the most meaningful thing in my life blah 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 and he kind of did the like old man like yeah kinda, what kind of music do you listen to just Expecting that it's like just a whatever, whatever shit question, yeah, yeah. and I said like, well, stuff like Black Flag, the Jesus Lizard, the cows. It's just like, <laughs> whoa, yeah. You just listed a bunch of my favorite bands. Like, this is weird. So, we became friends after that, and he got me into a whole bunch of really weird stuff. That's cool. That ended up being part of why my band sounds like they do. Cool. All those weirdos who like noise rock in Winnipeg in the nineties. Awesome. Let's check out the and the birthday party was one of them, so let's listen to King Inc. from the Prayers on Fire record. Right on. All right, that was good. That was really good. Yeah, yeah, that was great. I uh, the only, my only, I mean, obviously I've heard a lot of Nick Cave's like uh, later stuff, but mm-hmm. I, I knew of these guys and I've heard a couple songs here and there, but I think I probably read heard about them in that uh, tour diaries, Henry Rollins. Yeah, because yeah. he was he talks about Nick Cave all the time in there, and he I think yeah he was a big fan of the birthday party. Yeah. I think he reissued some of their stuff. Oh really? Because uh, a lot of their stuff I think had been out of print or at least wasn't in print in the states, and they did some remasters. And I, I think it was Rollins's label that did uh, at least a few of them. Cool. It may have been all the ones that I have that he did. Cool. But yeah, yeah, that was my real only like knowledge of them is from that and from. At the time, reading, all oh, this sounds cool, checking out a few songs, but I've never actually heard like, a full mm-hmm. album or anything. That was great, though. Yeah, it's definitely worth checking out if you like that. Uh, it's it's It can be pretty all over the place. They have some really creepy, almost like loungy stuff, a la what Nick Cave has gone on to do, yeah. but definitely weirder and noisier. And then there's some straight-up, like, just terrifying noise rock songs. Which cool. Some of the howling he did for, like, the late 70s, early 80s, like, it's stuff that people didn't do till the 90s. Mm. It's pretty cool. I think, yeah, because I, I don't think people who only know of his, like, I mean, he's not like film scores and stuff, right? Like, this yeah. is totally different. It's mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah, I knew he had been around for a while. I've listened to, like, earlier Nick Cave, but not, I guess, this, yeah, mm-hmm. this particular stuff. So good. I end up becoming, good like, a snob with people because a lot of, uh, I'm now one of the older dudes in the scene, and when people talk about listening to Nick Cave and stuff, I'm like, he, he's yeah. kind of like a hipster thing. Everyone loves Nick Cave. Yeah, if you don't yeah. like Nick Cave, what's wrong with you? But, like, I don't really care about most of his solo stuff, so I end up being that asshole. It's like, mm-hmm. I'd rather listen you to a birthday know. party. <laughs> yeah. yeah, You don't know who the birthday party is? Come on, man. Step your game up. Yeah, yeah. It's, that's, it's that weird thing, right? It's like actually being a fan, but being like, 
I only like their first album and sounding like an asshole. Yeah, you don't like, want to sound you like you an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. I like them before they were, yeah, you don't, you don't want to do I'm that. totally not trying to do it in yeah. an asshole way. It's yeah. just I just don't really care about most of the Bad Seed stuff. There's a lot yeah. of, he's done a lot of really good albums, but it's just, if I'm in the mood to listen to Nick Cave, I want to hear, like, even with the loungier stuff, I'd rather listen to the last birthday party, the two EPs that they did. Like. Sure. Yeah, like, I mean, like I said while the song was playing, like, I checked out some of the Nick Cave and the Bad Seed stuff just because, like, I'd never heard of it before, but I just, people kept talking about it, so I went yeah. and checked it out, and I was like, oh, I don't care about this, but mm-hmm. that, that song was great, so I'm going to definitely check out the birthday, birthday party. Birthday party, yeah, so, yeah, totally, totally, it was really cool. All cool stuff. So what's, uh, what's the song about? Like, I mean... Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I was trying to think because of the title, right? I like, wonder what this is actually, but I couldn't, I couldn't yeah. anything from just for the uh, lesson, but... I wasn't even paying attention while we were listening to it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've heard it before. <laughs> it's probably, like, if I had to guess, like, if I just had to interpret it, because that's part of art, it's just interpreting it for yourself. I would say it's pr- wrong, I would say it's probably about the human condition. Yeah, <laughs> probably. I was actually uh, I just started reading the Jesus Lizard book called Book, aptly titled. Good title. Um, and in it, uh, my friend Dale just flipped to a random page, and it turned out it was uh, the little couple page write up that Steve Albini did on the Jesus Lizard. And in the beginning, he was talking about how he met those guys, and he met. Uh, David Yao and Dave Sims originally when they were in their band Scratch Acid because they were label mates with Big Black on Touch and Go. And he described Scratch Acid as uh, the birthday party if they were at a kegger instead of uh, wherever rich people do heroin. (laughs) (laughs) Or instead of a party wherever rich people do heroin. And we thought that was a really funny line. That's That's a pretty apt title for, for... style for what Scratch Acid actually was. Another great band. That's another one of those bands that I find that comes up a lot in, I mean, like, I'm actually uh, rereading an old Nirvana biography right now, and, like, they they get mentioned a ton of times, Mm -hmm. and, like, a lot of uh, stuff from back then, all those bands are influenced by Scratch Acid, and by, and probably by these guys, and by Big Black, and all these other awesome Mm -hmm. bands. And it's, uh, yeah. That's kind of how I dove into that whole scene, was, were you reading Come As You Are? No, I've read that. Yeah, I have that okay. too. I was reading. Uh, this is actually one of the the one that came out. It's uh, heavier in heaven. Okay. Like Charles R. Cross, just the Kurt Cobain biography. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, come yeah. as you are is really good. Come too. as you are is the one that ruined me as a child. Yeah, so many good recommendations. Yeah, and, stuff to listen to, yeah. and that's like yeah. it was funny because those when you think back, like the fact that like when Kurt died, he was twenty seven. He was know, a goddamn ridiculous. kid, yeah. and the whole time yeah. they're talking, it's like it sounds like interviewing just like a kid. Yeah. Who's really stoked on punk rock and the For stuff sure. he grew up on. For sure. It it. I started reading it on this last tour, and it was just trippy because I don't think I read it since I was a teenager. Yeah. I'm like, I'm thinking like, my God, these guys are just little brat punks. Yep. Like, I would have beat the shit out of them if I was yep. stuck in a tour van with them. Yeah, they sound like assholes in interviews too. Like a lot of the time yeah. I watch Kirk Cobain interviews. I, I mean, I love his music still. I mean, I'm still a big fan of Nirvana, but yeah, like, I don't think I could hang out with them. Like it would. Yeah, and hearing about how they just trash dressing rooms yeah. and stuff just to be punk, it's like, yeah. oh my God. The yeah. documentary uh, of uh, Kurt, that's just all his voice. Like, oh, the interviews, yeah, 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 that was interesting. Yeah. Remember when we went to see that? It's, it's, it's Cinematheque, right? Yeah, yeah, and it was like, um, I, w- I don't know about you, but I was getting drunk in the theater. <laughs> <and> <laughs> It was just like he—he's so obnoxious. Yeah, he is, yeah. to hear speak, yeah. and like it was yeah. hard not to like uh, yell back at the screen, yeah. which <laughs> made other people 
annoyed, I'm sure, but... Uh, it's weird to think that a lot of stuff, like, I mean, they, obviously he's dead and, and the anniversary happened recently, so it's like a thing that's on top mm-hmm. of mind for a lot of people, but all those bands at the time, I mean, all, most of the music that we probably, all of us listen to was recorded by people who are younger than us now. You know, I mean, yeah. not all of it, but there, I mean, I, I think most of my kind of touchpoint albums in any genre are recorded by people, you know, maybe mid-20s, like, to late-20s, maybe, yeah. and it's, yeah, it's weird to think that, like... Yeah. Because you, you don't. I, mean, I, I always think of Kurt Cobain as being older than me, but I'm, you know, that's how it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> Another wild thing about just thinking of that, like, we've obviously have the benefit of having lived through what impact that had on yeah. music and when it was happening. Like, I do, I realized they were bratty kids, but at the same time, what they were experiencing was something that no one ever could have ever imagined could have happened to people who grew up with music oh, like yeah, that. for sure. Like, that type of punk and hardcore and the stuff they listened to no one even got remotely close to even making money yeah, yeah. actually when we had uh, we had Dead Ranch on the show a few weeks ago and we were talking about this guy I played, I played a song off in Euro I played Milk It and we were talking about how um how crazy it was that that band that did that song was the biggest band in the world like that's not yeah. gonna happen ever again so I don't think someone playing no. something that kind of like you know it's that, that, that noisy is, is gonna be it's insane the huge. 90s were insane yeah it's, it's so and with rap too I mean like you know, I, I think rap's kind of reached its peak because I was just thinking about it, like Outkast is a good example of yeah. that. Like early Outkast was, you know, still as underground rap as anything was at the time, and they definitely came up on on the underground rap, and yeah. they were like kinfolk with like they were coming up at the same time as Goody Mob and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, like they're one of the biggest groups. You know, their their reunion at Coachella was like such a big deal, and it's it's kind of the same thing. I mean, not not. Obviously, not entirely the same thing, but yeah. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. It's weird. Like I don't think. I think that now everything is too. Like I mean, I, I think it's always going to happen, though. I think there's always these underground movements that start from you know these these very like um, these bands that are just doing it to do it, and then it, it bubbles up to the point where you get um, these bands, you know, like Outkast, like Nirvana, who who have just been following that movement, and all of a sudden, you know, the the you know the people who are making money off music realize that there's something here to make money off of it's just it's just all about these movements that like ebb and flow right yeah i I feel the nature of the way the internet is though none of these movements will be as big as they no that's a good point because people can seek them out on their own time they won't because they like these movements won't have the time to crystallize and like build on their own you're not playing in winnipeg for a decade yeah and it's harder to get people's attention like if you like anything, you can have it at the touch of a button. For sure. Now. And back yeah. then, like, people might not have even really liked Nirvana, but they'd listen to it because that's what was being pushed on yeah. them. Yeah. And now, like, it's, it's like, if you don't care, well, I can listen to this. I don't, like, yeah. just go to YouTube. I don't have to yeah. sit here and watch this fucking video. I don't You don't care even need to it. own the album anymore. You just yeah. use YouTube. Yeah, exactly. It's ridiculous. And even then, like, bands that do pick up a lot of momentum, back then, they'd be getting, like, Nirvana... They weren't like a hit when Nevermind came out. It took months yeah. for that to spiral. Yeah. And nowadays, everything is about that first week sales. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you didn't sell X number of records to make the Billboard Top 200 in that first week, nobody gives a shit. Yeah. And within the first two months of that record coming out, if you aren't hitting it big then, no one cares, and it's for gone. Sure. Yeah, it's already, yeah, it's already over and yeah. done with. Well, Your album's been... old within three yeah. months, which is insane. That's what right. I kind of what I mean. By, I don't think anyone's going to be anyone playing that kind of. I don't want to use the word alternative because, it's a, but something that's not that kind of noisy or aggressive or weird or anything like that is ever going to be 
front and center again because yeah, it's not gonna it's not gonna have that. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, do you think with with the advent of the internet, like, do you think that whole like what you guys did where you toured, right? You toured to build a name. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's done? Like, do you think touring is useless now? It's all about. It, it's more like you're more. You'll make more of an impact putting out a video every three months than you are coming through a city every three months or every six months? I don't know. I think you can still make a big impact with touring. And I know that's kind of how bands like Mastodon got their footing, is they just kept touring and they'd get better opportunities, and that's kind of how they took over. I think touring is the one last sacred area where you still can slowly build a fan base. Um... I think because of the nature of the way the media is now and the fact that like maybe a tenth of the people still pay for records, yeah. that's what will hurt creating at least superstars out of more subgenre type stuff because you can't gather together a million people to buy, say, a Mastodon record. Mm-hmm. Even though in the 90s they would have been a platinum-selling artist and they would have been huge. But just in terms of uh, being a, a touring, working band, you think that it's still kind of the, the same thing? I think to a certain extent. depends how good you are live. <laughs> right. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. But there are a lot of bands who have been slowly building good buzz just by doing that. Mm-hmm. We're an example. I know bands like uh, Def Heaven, who, granted, they got a lot of hype, we're, we're friends with them, but they've been touring their asses off, and it just cements what reviewers say about them. Mm-hmm. And I know in the Jesus Lizard book, they noted that, that, like, that's how they built a following. Like, they were a good band. They got kind of panned by reviewers, but they got known as a great live band, and they mm-hmm. toured like crazy. Well, I guess it goes hand in hand, too, right? Because, I mean, like, you know, if you're playing a lot of the live shows, especially nowadays, people are filming that, like, mm-hmm. on their phones and stuff, so that's going to go on the internet. So as much as you put it on the internet on your own, I mean, people are going to be putting their own videos of you up, and, I mean, if you play badly live... Yeah, when you guys sell it. tickets, do you ever also sell tickets with, like, um... Like contracts saying that people won't record your live performances or also see, see no. the shit out of them? We, we, we don't <laughs> do stuff like that. <laughs> I would do that. If I, I know some, you do that. some acts do do that. Really? Rob, yeah. you, should, you should do that. Okay. Yeah, next time you play, like, I don't know, whatever. Like, yeah. I will sue you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, we're going to play one more song, but before we do that, we're just going to do our little... Uh, you know, let people know where they can find our show and where they can find your music and all that. So cool. if, if anyone wants to find our show, uh, you can check out the archives. It's all free to download and stream on uh, witchpolice.com. There's a little podcast button on the top menu bar. Hit that. It gives you a list of all the past episodes, past guests, things like that. Uh, you can also hear us on Monday nights on 101.5 UMFM in Winnipeg uh, at 11 p.m. Did I say that? Mm-hmm. You did now. I, did. I said it. it twice. Uh, if you're not, not in Winnipeg, you can stream it on umfm.com. Listen that way. Uh, you can also find us on uh, Facebook, Witch Police Radio, on Twitter, at Witch Police FM. Uh, you can listen to our show on Stitcher, which is an app for uh, making podcasts and talk radio easier to listen to just on your mobile device. And you can probably find us somewhere else that I haven't mentioned, but, you know, that's that's about the size of it. So uh, wh- how can people check out what you're doing? Ken-mode.com. You can basically get everything from there. Check us out on Facebook. We're slash Ken-mode. Twitter, Ken-mode-noise. Instagram, Ken-mode-noise. Bandcamp, Ken Mode, uh, what else is there? Probably <laughs> some other ones. Google. Yeah. Big Cartel. Google, yeah. Ken Mode. Google, you put in Ken Mode, you'll find us. We're the only Ken Mode. So what do you, what do you have, do you have anything coming up that you want to let people know about? Um, I don't know when we're announcing it. We're doing two fests in Saskatchewan in the summer. We're probably going to play a Winnipeg show, hopefully in July. 
Um, cool. Doing a fest in North Carolina in the fall and probably doing a bunch of U.S. dates, Canadian dates, European dates after that because we don't want to sit around. And the only way I can make money is by touring. Right. <laughs> so we got to do that. And then recording a record hopefully in November. Awesome. Cool. No okay. rest for the wicked. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, obviously it's working for you guys, though, right? You're getting Ish. a lot of exposure. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for um, now? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, definitely people should check it out. Kenwood is uh, one of my favorite local bands, I think, for, still for a long time now, so. Yeah. Too stupid to quit. Yeah. 15-year <laughs> anniversary this September, too. Are you doing anything for that? No. <laughs> <laughs> We're touring. wine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, cheese. <laughs> We'll, we'll try and play a show at, like, the Windsor or something in <laughs> September, and someone can buy me a little scrapper. I said, congratulations yeah, yeah. for not getting killed by Shane in 15 years. <laughs> awesome. 